0: What's up, everybody?
1: Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 232. Today, we are going to be talking about another UFO incident, specifically the Westall UFO incident. And this is very similar to the aerial school phenomenon that we just recently covered. Because
0: it has to deal with school children that had an encounter with several UFOs. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting about this one is this is actually Australia's largest or biggest yeah. mass UFO sighting in yeah. history.
1: Yep. And when we were in Australia, we did a Down under. tour of Phillip Island in Melbourne, and our tour guide. We ended up telling him we do podcasts, and this shout was out, Paul. The, yeah, he's Paul. A, maybe he's a listener. <laughs> I don't know, dude. He was awesome. He said he was going to yeah. start listening. Maybe he did. Yeah, we were like talking. This uh, was early days, right? Yeah. Like. What, 2017, 2018 maybe that we went? Yeah, my um, God. It's been a while. I can't believe we haven't covered it until now. Because well, <laughs> he told us about it and said it would be a great topic for you guys to look into. And we always have had it on our list, but we never actually got around to covering it. Well, today. I
0: covered it on my oh, YouTube right. channel, Once Upon a Time. Josh will um, <laughs> do We'll link it below. <laughs> hell no. I watched it last night and I nearly died. I was oh, like, no. oh boy.
2: <laughs> Can people even find it anymore? No,
0: it's private right now on my Ooh. on my channel so you you don't try to go look for it but
1: i'm sure it was good no
0: it was good i just was like
1: oh yeah i looked definitely. like i was like
0: <laughs> like seriously i was like looking at the camera and my eyes would not stop blinking i was like dude, <laughs> the, part the of the reason hiding. that
1: josh had to end his youtube channel was because it was so hard for him to film with all the bright lighting we it's have lighting really close here. to you, but it's further away like versus a ring light having that's right it right in front right in
0: front like the camera because you sit so close to the camera in yeah. that setting that like I was staring right into him like,
1: Josh is so sensitive <laughs> I to look like, like half of our wedding photos were no good because <laughs> it was too bright out for him to keep his eyes open. Yeah, Amazing. even
0: even this is like kind of bright. We have like lights yeah. around us and But they're they're is, more
1: on the warmer side versus our like the green white lights light. at home. The white is more yeah.
0: Yeah, I can't stand white lights. Yeah,
1: I definitely like if I close my eyes right now I can just see a bunch of lights mm-hmm. in my head. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is a very, very interesting story here, you guys, and one that I 100% believe. Really oh, no happened. doubt, no doubt. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, there's some other theories out there, but I real based on the testimonies of all the people that witnessed, you know what what they saw that day. and Not only did they see something, but this thing landed yep. or came close to landing right in front of them and based on the descriptions of this there's just absolutely no doubt in my mind that what they saw was something extraordinary Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and something that to this day has not been explained away or Mm -hmm. debunked in any any sort of way it's you know there's other theories of what it could be because of course there's always theories of you know when we talk ufos you're talking about an unidentified flying object so an unidentified flying object could have an identity and maybe we just don't we don't know what it is we don't know the name for it yet mm-hmm. but in this case based on the descriptions and what they saw these objects do it definitely has so many similarities to other similar sightings and incidents not only the aerial school but we're talking betty barney hill we're talking the wendlesham forest uh, incident I'm hope i'm saying that right i think I am. Yeah, that's not a kind of in shaky. Uh, uh, sure. Rendlesham Forest. It's in the UK. Forgive me if I'm mispronouncing that. But there's so many other incidents that have happened around the world with similar objects being seen. And by objects I'm talking about flying saucer. And that is what these students saw. And what's interesting and different about this from the aerial school incident is the fact that the students were older. Mm-hmm. So eleven to sixteen we're talking high school age kids that had this encounter so
1: yeah and many of them still talk about it publicly as adults uh, which well for really many years they were like hear.
0: they were like suppressed mm-hmm. because they were trying like and that's the fishy thing about this is that there yeah. was clearly a cover-up that happened in order to make this go away and, and keep it under wraps and mm-hmm. it was years and years later that they the students actually felt comfortable enough to come forward and Start talking about this in great detail and going to the media outlets and things like that, mm-hmm. sharing their stories. And it's honestly crazy it is. What, what they saw that day and the subsequent events that happened with the military and the government when this event happened. Mm-hmm. So, it's, and
1: again, it's one of those, you know, sightings where there's so many people who have seen it, just the sheer number of witnesses makes it hard to believe that they would all make it up you right, know right. or and people are like oh mass hysteria i'm like oh god mass hysteria is the dumbest excuse <laughs> for anything ever it's so stupid anyway <sighs> i'm like let's look at some just, actual events
0: of mass hysteria and then we'll, we'll compare but
1: yeah maybe we should do an episode sometime on just actual mass hysteria events we can understand it a little bit better sure maybe we'll see mm, could be fun could be fun okay Let's get into this. But before we do, we'd like to thank our sponsors for the day Apostrophe, Rocket Money, Simply Safe, Native, and Shopify. Thank you. Thank you. Also, just a reminder, you guys, you still have time to make a donation to our NECMEC charity um, uh, campaign. Yeah, collab. Campaign. I never know what to call it exactly, but we are currently raising funds for National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and we are matching all donations that you guys make to our team page between now and the end of the year. We have a goal of $100,000 by the end of the year. We are inching our way there. I believe we're at about $80,000 right now when we're recording, and hopefully that goes up. Um, so yeah, if you are looking to give back during the holiday season, now is the time, folks. Because you can double your donation. Great way to give back. And NECMEC is an awesome place um, to give back to. They just do so much. They are incredible. We talk about them all the time in our episodes across all of our different platforms. And their team is just amazing and very grateful for all the donations that have come in so far. So thank you to everyone who has participated in this campaign this year.
0: Because every child deserves a safe childhood. That's right that's the mission
1: that's right and I love it. and they really you know help work towards that goal in many different ways um,
0: there's just no awesome. there's no greater cause in my opinion and and responsibility than to protect children I think Our that's youth. so important yeah the youth mm-hmm. and just especially those that are the in in positions where they can be exploited or um, mm-hmm. taken advantage of so mm-hmm. it's a very very important cause and you know, thank you to everybody out there who has already donated. I mean, we have our top 10 donors right here. Megan, Lori, John, Dean, Victoria, Trent, Kelly, Julia, Jennifer, and Bob.
1: Thank you, guys.
0: Thank you guys so much for donating to the cause.
1: Yeah. Some really big donations have come in, and I know NECMEC was kind of blown away seeing some of those. Um, just, again, thank you all so much.
0: And we'll be making, like you said, we'll be making another donation from yeah. Mile hard Media, our company towards Before the campaign the the once year. we add up all the donations that we once we math uh,
1: the math out
0: once we math it out right so yeah, definitely we're gonna make hit a huge impact
1: or more, no no problem i think that's awesome yeah it's always really good to exciting. give back of course of course anyway you ready to get into this here
0: yeah let's let's dive in and go down under down under that's right melbourne it's melbourne. not <laughs> melbourne don't say melbourne <laughs> I know. I remember when we like first got down Melbourne. there, we were
1: like Melbourne. We're in
0: Melbourne, Australia. Well, there
1: is a Melbourne, Florida.
0: Right. And It's call spelled it Melbourne.
1: the same, yeah. It looks, I mean, how do they get Melbourne out of Melbourne, though? Dude, how
2: do we get half the words that in the English True. language out of? True. You know what I mean? Like, But
1: O-U-R-N-E turns uh, into bin? Who knows? Explain, if you're an Australian and you know an Aussie, why that explain is or, to us, is, I'd love to know.
0: Why do you say it like this? Yeah. Yeah. When it's spelled, it's spelled out in a way. I th- Well, I think it's the vowels are, are different. Yeah, they are. The way that they say the vowels are a bit different. Mm-hmm. Because it's not just Melbourne. It's like Canes, you know, like or we, we oh, yeah. thought it was Cairns. I thought it was yeah. It's Cairns, yeah. It's Cairns, Cairns. Yeah, Cairns. Cairns. What
1: are you cans. About? It's Fried cans. cans. Janelle knows, and she didn't even go. We did. Cain. I'm
0: thinking <laughs> no, can. raisin cans. Also, like,
1: what is this? Fried chicken. <laughs> yeah, but cans. that's spelled with an R. And then cans. It's, but so it's, it's like pronounced yeah. cans. Yeah, it's some interesting like, pronunciations. Yeah.
0: But anyway, that's that's where we're going to down under, to visit, the Westall Secondary College, which is a high school there. Mm -hmm. Where This all happens back in 1966.
1: Yep. In Clayton South, which is a suburb of Melbourne in Victoria, Australia, Clayton South is unofficially known as Westall. But back in 1966, the school was known as Westall High School. The headmaster of the school at the time was a man named Frank Sambleby, and he was a pretty black and white thinking by the books kind of guy. And he was also a pretty big skeptic and a very judgmental man. Frank had a hard time accepting things that he didn't understand. And anything that didn't fit into his view of right and wrong, or anything that interrupted the smooth flow of things, gave him a lot of trouble. The school had 485 students aged 11 to 16, and there were also many young teachers at Westall as well. And some of those teachers didn't get along well with the headmaster. It was his first year at the school, and he ran a tight ship. It was the 60s, so there was a lot of change to be pissed about. If you were an uptight traditionalist, so it wasn't a great time for him. And on April 6th, 1966, the students at Westall High were gearing up for their Easter break. The next day, April 7th, would be the last day of term one. And after many long months of studying, the students were obviously anxious to finish their classes and start to enjoy their break. So around 11 a.m. on the 6th, the students at Westall High School were just going about their day as they usually did. They listened to lectures in their classrooms, relaxed during their lunch break, and played sports outside during P.E. It was a sunny, breezy day in the suburbs of Melbourne. Two groups of students were out for P.E. on the Oval, which was their school's big sporting field. Some of those students were friends, Terry Peck, Marilyn Eastwood, Jackie Argent, and their friend, Tanya. Suddenly, Tanya looked up and saw something in the sky. It looked like something that she had never seen before. She started screaming that it was a flying saucer. Terry just could not believe her ears. When she looked up, she saw it. It really was a flying saucer. In fact, she saw three UFOs. And from there, a commotion started brewing on the Oval. Tanya ran inside the school, shrieking that there was flying saucers outside. And meanwhile, a Westall high science teacher named Andrew Greenwood was inside teaching a classroom full of kids. And all of a sudden, a random student burst into his classroom and started shouting that there was a flying saucer landing outside. Can you imagine being in your class and a student comes in? And says I wish every like that?
0: day that somebody would come <laughs> running inside saying, "God damn, I agree. Josh, come outside right now. There's a flying saucer.
2: I'm going to do that to you in a few months. And just see <laughs> That'd be funny. Little... Coming from you,
0: I will never believe it. Unfortunately, Why
2: would you ever? I never joke about anything. Oh. I am the most serious.
0: Oh yeah, no, no, no. mm. she's the prankster. Yeah,
2: That's for sure.
1: Yeah. And the student that came in and said this was hysterical. Some witnesses said she was a girl, but some said that the student was a boy. So it's just one of those things we're not really sure. But of course, many students ran to the window to see what all the commotion was about. Meanwhile, students in the other classrooms had noticed the odd flying objects outside their windows. Mr. Greenwood tried to calm down his students and keep them from running out of the room. He thought that the student who ran in was just having some sort of episode, so he didn't believe them at first. He told all his students to sit back down. And other witnesses say that Mr. Greenwood decided that he and the whole class would go see for themselves. But either way, the bell rang a few minutes later, so class was dismissed anyway. So the students ran out of the classroom to take a look. Even Mr. Greenwood couldn't help his curiosity, and he followed the students out the door. Two of those students were Joy, Ty, and Sue Maynard. And when they got outside, they saw something incredible. Andrew said he saw a gray saucer or a cigar-shaped object floating in the sky, and it looked to be about once or twice the size of a car. But Sue and Joy said that they saw three objects— a large oval-shaped craft and two smaller ones in the traditional you know, flying saucer shape. These smaller crafts looked like escorts along with it. So a crowd started forming quickly on the oval, and Tanya saw that one of the chemistry teachers, Barbara Robbins, grabbed a camera from the office and started snapping photos of the scene. Now, the craft was huge. It flew very low over the oval, lower than a helicopter would fly, and some students said that the craft was 50 feet off the ground. The craft was metallic, made out of metal, and it caught the sun as it flew by. Some people thought the craft looked gray or white. Other witnesses described it as a greenish silver color with a slight purple hint.
0: So I just want to say a couple things. First of all, when you're, when you're seeing a dish-shaped craft in the sky, depending on the angle that you're viewing it at, it can look like a, a cigar shape. Depending on what angle it's at. Mm-hmm. The other thing I wanted to do was, I wanted to play this clip from Bob Lazar. The reason Bobby. why I'm bringing Bob Lazar into this is because Bob Lazar came forward in 1989 as a whistleblower, basically claiming that he worked at a base called S4, which is a part of the Area 51 facility out of Nevada. Mm-hmm. And he actually worked on a craft that was recovered that is a flying saucer and he calls it the sport model and i think hearing him whether or not you believe him that's up to you but
1: who doesn't believe Bob?
0: listen to what bob says about just the immense detail that he describes a sport model in and how similar his description of this flying saucer is to what the actual children saw that day let's play it
3: what did it feel like to walk inside a flying saucer It was really more ominous than um, interesting at the time. And uh, everything is exactly one color. It's all a a dark pewter gray. There is no sharp angle anywhere. Everything has a radius of curvature to it. As if somebody built this thing out of wax and then let it melt a little bit and then let it cool off. Um, It's a very unusual I mean, it feels unusual just to be in there, but even the most simple things inside are, and pardon pun are completely alien. Uh, 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 the little doors that snap open um, are made of little hexagons. I mean, it, it, it's hard to go through everything that pops into my mind right now, but um, it's difficult really to say, but it, there's nothing that its it's... It's like going into a room where nothing looks familiar at all, not even the room itself. So it uh was really something I'll never forget.
0: So again, when he had this experience, we're talking the 80s. Mm-hmm. And this is what he was seeing. And just based on the description that he gave of the sport model, which if you look at a picture of the sport model mm-hmm. that he's sketched for us and kind of the it's classic, that, Yeah, it's the it's the flying saucer. And so he was tasked with back engineering the technology of this craft. And so it makes you wonder, you know, how long these craft have been in the earth, you know, flying around the earth, who's flying them around, and you know, what purpose do they have? And I, I think that's the the key question here is like who's actually piloting these craft, if there's anything or anyone piloting them? Because I think a lot of people especially skeptics are like ah oh, there's you know you think it's aliens that are they're flying around in these things and could it be sure it could be extraterrestrials it could be life from elsewhere or it could be it could also be technology that has been back engineered from recovered craft that we've gotten i mean i always go back to roswell because it's roswell's kind of you know that pinnacle event where everything started within ufology and the alleged recover recovery that we did of down craft which were the saucers so is it possible that this is some type of experimental technology that the the children observed that day potentially there's also a possibility that it was life from elsewhere that was perhaps swinging by the school that day but we'll we'll dive into that a little bit more here in a little bit let's get back to what the children saw. So Joy and Sue watched as the two smaller crafts turned on their sides at a 45 degree angle and shot off straight up into the sky. The larger craft made a rapid descent and disappeared behind some pine trees. The girls believed that the crafts were scared off by some small planes that had appeared. One former student named Victor said that he'd actually seen two crafts land near the school. Some kids were hanging onto a fence separating the school's land from a grassy paddock and they were watching the scene unfold because just Back behind the school, there's this kind of foresty, grassy area called mm-hmm. the Grange.
1: Which is where they would run.
0: Right. There's just like a big open open area. Type stuff. And that's yeah. where these two circular crafts landed in this grassy area, a few meters from each other. He said they were silver saucers that looked like they were made of smooth metal with no seams or joints. What do we just hear Bob Ozar say? It's just smooth metal all the way around. There's no joints. There's no... Seems, mm-hmm. which is very very difficult to do with even modern technology
1: difficult for us
0: right teachers told the kids to get off the fence but of course they didn't listen here's a clip of terry actually describing what the crafts looked like
4: terry we've seen drawings that look like a flying saucer and even two flying saucers can you describe for us what was there Yes, um, it was about one and a half times the size of a normal um, family sedan, and it was round, silver coloured, there were all lights around the bottom of it, no windows, Um, it threw off a bit of a heat, and it was making a low buzzing sound. Did any of you at all witness anyone inside these unidentified flying objects? Did you see anyone? No. No, no. No.
0: So that was obviously an interview from years and years later when they're finally coming out on public television to talk about what they saw. Mm -hmm. So again, with what you just heard, it lines up almost exactly with the description that Bob has given, as well as even the size, which in that clip that we played, Bob doesn't describe the actual size, but the actual size of the craft itself is very similar. And so you have to start thinking that what Bob was working on and what Bob interacted with could in fact be similar or the same UFOs that they observed that day. Some of the kids actually climbed over the fence and got close enough to touch the craft. Victor said he reached his hand out and could feel that it was very hot. It was radiating heat from over a meter away. Then after sitting there for a while the craft slowly started to lift off the ground. There were some small planes heading for them. Some people think that the craft sensed that, you know, there's potential danger coming in, there's these planes approaching so it was time to take off and leave. The craft then hovered up into the air about 50 feet and then quickly took off the Grange Preserve, which like I said, is that wooded area behind the school. Some of the students immediately hopped the fence and began chasing it. This included Jackie, Marilyn, Tanya, Joy, and Sue. This Grange area where the craft had landed was a special place. It was kind of a hideaway for students. You know, you go out there and hang out and smoke without being seen by the school faculty. So all the girls, took off running towards the Grange. Tanya had managed to run faster than the other girls, so they lost sight of her. The other students were faster than Terry, so she was falling behind, but when she caught up with them, some of the girls started passing out. Tanya headed towards a grassy clearing, and she figured that the UFO would land in that spot, so she wanted to get a better look. When Joy and the other girls arrived at the clearing in the Grange, they saw the large craft shoot up into the sky, and then it turned on its side and sped off out of sight. Once the students at the Grange saw the craft lift off again, they stopped chasing it. The girls hadn't seen the craft land, but Joy said it left behind a huge circle of flattened grass that swirled in an anti-clockwise direction. When Terry finally caught up to the landing spot, she saw a big yellow circular patch of grass. It looked almost like it had been burnt, but at the very least, the grass looked flattened in a swirl pattern. So it was clear that something likely had landed on it. So again, go back to the Ariel School incident, as well as countless others. When these craft... Land or come close to the ground. I don't know that they actually physically land on the ground, but the energy that they put off lays the grass down. And mm-hmm. what's interesting is what is that like?
1: Like many different stories that we've seen, obviously, crop circles from yeah, crop circles to other UFO sightings as well, where the grass
0: is laid down in mm-hmm. a pattern like that, mm-hmm. which is very interesting and/or
1: looks kind of burnt. Right. Or discolored.
0: And and just the manner that it does it in is, is in a way that I don't think there's any other type of object or piece of machinery that we have that could make sort of that type of indentation in the way that it actually was observed, which is very interesting. So after the craft lifted off again, it ended up being pursued by five small aircrafts about the size of Cessna's. Meanwhile, back at the school, witnesses watched while the object started playing sort of a cat and mouse game with the planes. The craft itself now appeared to be like a streak of bright light. The aircrafts looked like they were doing their best to approach the UFO, and Mr. Greenwood said it was the most amazing flying he'd ever seen in his life. The craft had first been followed by one airplane, but after it lifted off from the Grange, four more planes began to follow it. But every time the aircraft moved too close, the UFO would accelerate a little bit, speed up, and then stop once it had moved away from the plane. So it's basically just kind of like you, you can kind of imagine this sight in your head of like mm-hmm. you know there's these bunch of these little planes in the air all trying to track this thing, and this this craft, this UFO, is just kind of like playing is just kind of darting in and out of different areas, but it's maneuvering in a way that these planes cannot, and, and that's key. The movement that's being observed by the craft is very important when talking about theories of what this could be because it just doesn't match up the the behavior of what was observed just doesn't line up with any other potential theory or solution to what this thing is. Mr. Greenwood had looked away from the sky for a few moments, but when he turned around again, the craft and the five airplanes had all disappeared. Again, about 200 to 350 people witnessed the UFO, and the sighting lasted about 20 minutes. After those 20 minutes, the headmaster came outside and ordered everyone to get back inside. A farmer working nearby at the school at a market garden named Paul Smith saw the craft that day. He stopped to stare at it when a group of students hopped the fence onto the property to chase it. Paul thought the siding was some sort of film projected into the sky because it was just so unbelievable that he didn't think it was real. About 20 minutes after the craft disappeared, Paul said some tan-camouflaged colored trucks and a couple of Jeeps pulled up to the scene. 20 or so men dressed in khaki-colored uniforms got out, and Paul believed that these were people from the Army. But a local man and his younger sister saw something different in the field that day. He said that they saw two army trucks, two men in camouflage, and two men in blue uniforms, and it looked like one of the soldiers was using a metal minesweeper to check the area. At one point, the men kicked violently at the ground, and then they returned to their trucks and everyone left. According to the witness, those army men couldn't have been Australian, because at the time, neither the Australian or British Army wore camouflage uniforms. Only U.S. Army soldiers did. Meanwhile, Jackie, Tanya, and the other students watched the craft leave the Grange, and then they returned back to the school. When they got back, there were already ambulances waiting there. And Tanya started freaking out and quote-unquote fell to pieces. And that's when one of the ambulances took Tanya away. And after that, none of her fellow classmates ever saw her again. Jackie thinks that Tanya saw the craft itself while they were at the Grange. What's interesting is that only 20 to 30 minutes after the event, Government men in plain business suits showed up to the school and the men instructed all the witnesses to keep quiet about what they had seen and not tell anyone about it. Mm -hmm. They also guarded the site where the craft landed and none of the men identified who they were working for. So we're literally talking about like men in black situation. We're talking about people who clearly are some top secret government department that have now showed up to, to the school. So that right there lends a lot of credibility to whatever this thing was, was so important and crucial for them to cover up that they sent all of these government and military personnel after the sighting was over. Headmaster Sambleby held a special assembly that day and he told the students that, quote unquote, he didn't want to hear any more about this nonsense. <laughs> he claimed the object was just a weather balloon. Frank told the teachers to tell the students that what they saw didn't exist
2: interesting yet you bring all these important people <clears> in <dressing throat> suits and you know telling them don't talk about it but it's just a weather balloon
1: yeah it's hmm. funny how that balloons. works
0: yeah that, that doesn't make any sense because weather balloons can be launched by anybody news stations mm-hmm. colleges which maybe maybe in the 60s it was different and you know it wasn't so readily available but these days almost anybody can get their hands on a weather balloon yeah weather balloon is just
1: like the classic excuse
0: which we'll we'll talk more about the weather balloon theory at the end Mm because you know there's a little bit more to it but the headmaster informed everyone that any student caught speaking about the incident would be severely punished and any staff member who spoke about it would be fired that is serious he instructed all them to never discuss the incident again so many of them didn't that day one teacher spotted a confrontation between the headmaster and chemistry teacher barbara robbins and a man he'd never seen before. The man was dressed in what looked like a police uniform. Barbara had actually been snapping photos of the event. The headmaster and the man demanded that not only she hand over the roll of film, but the entire camera itself. And God, I wish we had access to those photos, because I guarantee those photos have concrete proof of what they saw that day, or at least something. Obviously, this is probably not an HD DSLR camera, but still, any Proof, And that's what's hard about this incident, is that there are no photos. There's no physical, visual evidence to look at with this, because the only visual evidence potentially there was, was confiscated. But by the end of the day, the police had arrived and news media outlets had shown up. The students had been told not to speak to the media on school grounds, but once school let out, the students figured nobody would stop them from talking to reporters. So these reporters started interviewing the students about what they had seen that day. And one of those students was Joy Tai, who was interviewed by Nine News. But during the interview, either a school rep or the headmaster came out and told everyone to go home. The police officers also stopped the other interviews. They told the students to go back inside and demanded that the crew stop filming. Marilyn Eastwood even got detention for talking to the news outlets that day. And when part of her interview was printed in the paper later, she got detention again. So They're very serious about not talking.
1: So the next day, an article in the Melbourne newspaper called The Age wrote that the UFO sighting might have been a weather balloon. The Weather Bureau had apparently launched a balloon around 8.30 a.m. that day from the town of Laverton. Which, before we get
0: further into this, I wanted to just play a clip of a freaking weather balloon so you can see (laughs) what, if you've never seen what one looks like. Let's take a look. And tell me this
3: was not a UFO in the skies over Tucson. <laughs> it was the second launch from Tucson of WorldView's Stratolite system. Yes, yes. WorldView says it's flying a government payload. Unlike a normal balloon that goes just where the wind takes it, Stratolites can stay in a controlled area because the wind blows different directions at different altitudes. The Stratolite varies its altitude to fly in winds that push it one way then another to keep the balloon and payload in the area the mission requires.
1: Like if you saw that thing, you would say that that's a weather balloon. There'd be no question
3: about
0: that. Look like a flying balloon. saucer. There, no. Is there any way that that could be confused no, with a flying saucer? No. 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 Does I that think, thing look like it could land? No. Or come fifty feet, or go fifty feet off the ground, turn on its side, and then accelerate off into the distance? And why on earth would they send five airplanes out to chase this thing if it was a balloon?
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's it's honestly it makes ridiculous. absolutely no sense. But I think a lot of people, you know, haven't seen a weather balloon, so they don't really know what the d- difference is and they think, "Oh, maybe yeah, maybe people were just confused."
0: Well, I there is another there's another clip I have in here later on that's uh a view from the ground looking at it up in the sky, which if you're looking at a weather balloon way up there in the sky, obviously it can look like, you know, something something like I guess you could kind of confuse it maybe with a with a saucer potentially but it still doesn't look like anything what these these children described they saw that day
1: but anyway the weather bureau had said that they had launched this weather balloon at 8:30 a.m. from Laverton which is about 32 kilometers west of Westall and due to westerly winds got a lot of west going on here in the area at the time the balloon could have been blown towards the school the age also added that no private commercial or raaf which is Royal Australian air force planes had noted anything unusual in the area at the time,
0: which could be because a, they either didn't detect this thing or B they did. And they're just lying and they're just trying to cover it up because they don't want to admit that they, something unidentified enter their airspace. I mean, mm-hmm. because that's a potential security risk. So they'd be, you know, might upset people.
1: So the next day, Jackie Argent was called down to the headmaster's office, and she was greeted by Frank and two very well-dressed men in suits. She wasn't introduced to the men, but now she believes they were from the Australian government.
0: Literally the men in black.
1: (laughs) Kind of, maybe. Only one of the men spoke, and he started asking Jackie rapid-fire questions about what she saw outside that day. And Jackie started to try to explain, but then these men started asking her mocking questions like, oh, we suppose you think you saw a flying saucer and we suppose you saw little green men. And these questions made Jackie feel angry. You know, obviously she felt like they were kind of poking fun at her. She tried to explain to the men that she had never seen any of that. She'd only said that she'd seen this object in the sky after she left the conference room, Jackie was so upset by the meeting that she burst into tears. Jackie tried to visit Tanya the next day and check up on her, but when she knocked on her door, something really weird happened.
4: Can I ask what happened to the girl? You, um, you took her back to the school, the one that was hysterical, is it Tanya? Mm-hmm. And um, she went into the hospital and then you went to visit her at her place and they said she didn't live there. That's yes, right. I went to I went to her house the following day, and an English-speaking woman opened the door and said there had never been a Tanya living there. Now, the problem with that is that Tanya's parents didn't speak English to start with. I think they were Yugoslavian. So oh. i had been to this house a lot of times and then was told, no, sorry, you're mistaken. Oh, my God. So that's what's gonna... happened to her? Do you mm-hmm. know if she disappeared, have you had any contact with her? Do you know where she is and what, what happened? I have had no personal contact with her. I know one of the researchers has. She prefers to stay anonymous and not be involved in anything at all. She told the researcher that she had no recall of what had happened. And then there was a very odd story about her parents putting her in a convent for some reason that was, to me, totally ridiculous that's it. <laughs> I love how she ends that. That's it.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting because we have additional details about what happened to Tanya mm-hmm. that will that will go over later on in in this story. But it's interesting. What what I'm gathering is that this UFO affected her physically in some way, mm-hmm. and that could be some type of you know whatever energy this thing's giving off potentially. She had a reaction to it because she just basically went nuts after, you know, getting so close to it. And then she was taken off in an ambulance. So perhaps they were worried about the effects that this UFO had Mm -hmm. to her and they were going to go study her or something like that. Or, you know, obviously they want to make sure she's okay as well, but it's interesting how she was whisked away so quickly and, you know, none of of them were told about what happened to her. more on her later.
1: Yes. And also when one student brought his friends to the Grange to show them the flattened grass in the area where the UFO landed, he discovered that the site had been dug up. More students tried to return to that spot in the Grange after the incident. And on April 7th, some students tried to cross the paddock, but they were stopped and turned away by Air Force officials. So sketchy. And one of the students said that there were trucks on the paddock field and that there were men using devices that looked like Geiger counters. And a reminder, a Geiger counter is an electronic tool used for detecting and measuring ionizing radiation. So about a week later, the students went back to try to get another look. All the tall grass in the paddock had been cut, which was highly unusual. And when they tried to check the area where the circles were, they found that those areas had been burnt. Andrew Greenwood, the science teacher at Westall, said that he was silenced by the government and school officials. And one night, two weeks after the incident, two government officials showed up at his house and asked him what he saw. And one of the men was in just plain clothes, but the other was a senior Air Force official. And they told Mr. Greenwood that he hadn't seen anything and suggested that he was drunk at the time. So
2: offensive.
1: Yeah. That a horrible is. thing
2: to say. Don't Plus, you when you're think drunk, were drunk. I don't see shit. The fuck. I've been wasted before. We all
1: have it. I know. Did you randomly see a UFO? No, I wish I would have. <laughs> it's like ridiculous. But they said if he went public about what he saw, they'd report him to the school board and he would lose his job. They warned him that they'd tell everyone that he was an alcoholic and that he hadn't seen a UFO because UFOs don't exist, of course. They also threatened to prosecute him under the Official Secrets Act. And this act is basically a law against discussing state secrets related to national security or other areas of government. Here's a snippet of an interview where Mr. Greenwood talks about this visit. Take a listen. It was a gray, almost cylindrical
2: um, or cigar-shaped object.
1: They told me that I was wrong, that I hadn't seen
2: anything. They were threatening you. Oh, absolutely. I was threatened. Clearly, you were drunk on duty, and that will have to be reported to the education department, and of course, you'll lose your job. And that is what I find most interesting of all, uh, that, that I was definitely being told
0: to be quiet. Scared into secrecy. Mm-hmm. That's exa- by intimidation. That's exactly what they were doing. Mm-hmm. This is really interesting. It just, just popped into my head while we are recording that mm-hmm. this year— There was a report released from the Pentagon from 2010 that talks about the psychological effects of UFO sightings based on a bunch of cases here. I'm looking for, so the 2010 report compiled 42 cases of adverse effects from medical files and 300 from unpublished cases. So what this says is that based on the study they did, people who just had ufo sightings suffered from serious ailments including burns paralysis pain rashes and amnesia including brain damage Mm. so to me based on this evidence and this data it's possible that that's what happened with tanya maybe some of the other uh, individuals as well is that they suffered physical ailments as from just being in the presence of of this object
1: that definitely makes you think. Is it for our protection that doubt UFOs it? They don't give don't... a
2: fuck about our health.
1: No, I mean aliens, and oh, you know I whoever's see. piloting the UFOs. Is that the national are they, security Are they issue? concerned for us? Is gotcha. that why we don't see it as much? Is that why you know they don't approach humans?
2: Hmm.
1: Maybe. Maybe there's known you know health concerns, or maybe it affects just certain beings, certain. One's of us.
0: Well, that's what the that's what the Pentagon's basically saying. This report is that the report describes alleged injuries to human observers by anomalous advanced aerospace systems, some of which may be a threat to United States interests. That's that's interesting. Other related to electromagnetic radiation. Yeah. So that's that's what's actually happening here with these craft is that they're they're using this electromagnetic energy that's creating this radiation, which is leaving behind remnants on Mm -hmm. the ground which is why the Geiger counters are brought in to measure that. And that's why oftentimes people that study crop circles go into these crop circles and Mm -hmm. they bring the Geiger counters in. And sure enough, there's levels of of radiation there. Yep. And what, what leaves behind that? What do you think? Right. So I don't know, man, it's just, it's crazy because when you start putting the pieces together and you start looking at these things, and I mean, this is a, a report from the Pentagon that literally studied the effects of, of UFO sightings. From all these different cases and there's so many similarities and connections that it's hard to ignore. How do you ignore that and just explain it away as a weather balloon?
1: So anyway, back to Mr. Greenwood, since he was a first year teacher, it was far too risky for him to speak out and potentially end his career so early on. I mean, he really didn't want to lose his job over this. So Josh, if you were in this situation, would you still talk about what you saw or would you keep it on the DL?
0: Well, it depends on the threat. I mean, I think losing your job is a is obviously a pretty serious threat but losing your life is a lot a lot bigger and you know as we've heard from other people that's oftentimes a threat is you know there's a bullet with your name on it mm-hmm. so i think it depends on the threat but ultimately i think for the the greater good and i think it's better to come forward and
1: mm-hmm.
0: i mean the reason why we know so many secrets that the government has kept from us is because of whistleblowers yeah and people that come forward and well
1: think about how many people have been threatened and have stayed silent how much stuff we don't know
0: well yeah i mean that's that's the the scary thing is how much do we still you know don't know how many secrets are still there and there's there's loads and loads i'm sure
1: yeah definitely
0: and how many people disappear die from mysterious circumstances i mean the list goes on and on so it's a you uh, yeah, it's a tough decision. I think it just depends on your situation and what you have to lose, and you got to kind of calculate it from there. But yeah, it's mm-hmm. tough.
2: But it's unfortunate because even you know in current times, a lot of people who are deemed to be whistleblowers are then looked at as just crazy liars. And, yeah, yeah, yeah liars they're liars, and, and so
1: yeah. I get ridiculed.
2: Yeah, and then their whole it's not just oh well if Mister Greenwood you know, didn't follow the rules or whatever and decided to keep talking about it, he gets fired. Okay, well, it's not like he can just go pick up another job because now he's known as this lunatic yeah. teacher that is telling people about UFOs. Like, it's a really big consequence that these people have to face.
1: Possibly drunk on the job. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. good luck getting another teaching job with something like that. Also, this is really interesting. It turns out there were two other notable UFO sightings near Westall just days before the incident. The first one came out of Baldwin, which is a suburb of Melbourne, and it's about 15 kilometers northwest of Westall High. Four days before Westall, on April 2nd, at 2.21 p.m., a witness in Baldwin was taking photos in his mother's garden when he saw something unusual. He saw a bright flash of light and a mysterious flying object in the sky, and he immediately raised his Polaroid camera and snapped a picture of it. After the object bounced, it shot away towards the north at a very high speed it was like the object had been shot out of a gun. The object resembled descriptions of the UFO that witnesses at Westall gave. The craft was photographed from 17 kilometers away and had behaved in a very similar way. Multiple analysis were done on whether or not the photo had been manipulated using double exposure or anything like that, but the results on whether or not the photo was manipulated are mixed and inconclusive. Two days before Westall... A man named Ron Sullivan was driving through Maryborough in central Victoria when he noticed an odd light display on the road in front of him, and when he drove up closer to the lights, he saw a UFO beaming light into the trees. Ron was understandably very scared, and he almost hit the tree while he tried to speed away. He didn't report the incident until three days later when he heard about a similar accident. A man had driven off that same road and fatally crashed into the same tree that Ron narrowly missed. A couple of men from the Air Force came to visit Ron after he reported this incident. They took a look at his car, and Ron asked the men to let him know if they found anything. But they never got back to him. Possible. connected to Westall?
0: I think it's possible for sure. I mean, based on that picture, it definitely looks a lot like what they described seeing. Yeah. So it's it's very possible. And I wish we had the photographs from Barbara's camera. Then it would legitimize, you know, we yeah, could legitimize nice. these photos. Because mm. obviously, I mean, photos are are difficult and they can always be manipulated and things like that. But I don't know. These look pretty, it's interesting because it's like this guy's sitting on like a 45 degree angle, like they said. So, yeah, I, I think it's very, very possible that what he saw was in fact, maybe, or even maybe the exact same craft that that came to the school that day
1: so ufo researchers in the area have tried to investigate the westall incident but they didn't get very far there's no information about the sighting in australian government documents and since so much time has passed the witnesses were told to keep quiet and it's been very hard to collect their stories UFO researchers in the area tried to find out who was piloting these five airplanes, but nobody at the nearby Moorabbin Airport came forward. The only government file that pertains in some way to the Westall incident is a response letter from the Department of Air. The original sender wrote a long letter asking the Department of Defense about Westall. And the Department of Air responded in 1969. In their letter, they stated RAF, or the Royal Australian Air Force, does not investigate all unidentified aerial phenomenon reports. They did not mention Westall or anything about the incident at all.
0: UFO researchers have been trying for decades to get a hold of this official report on the incident. I mean, remember, there were so many government agencies there. There was military there that there, it just seems very unbelievable that with all of these resources sent out to investigate this incident, that there's not a shred of paperwork that was ever filled out about what was investigated and what, you know, what they actually collected evidence-wise. There's, it just seems laughable to me that there's nothing, or they claim that there's nothing. That's, that's the key. Like they're claiming that there's nothing. According to his family, a senior officer of the former Australian Government Department of Supply wrote an official report on Westall. But this report has never been found, and it's also never been confirmed that this report was even written in the first place. But apparently the stress over the incident was so great that it possibly contributed to his declining health. The man has since passed away, and his identity is still a mystery. But it took 16 years for UFO researchers to get a hold of Air Force documents on unidentified aerial phenomenon from those relevant years. The Ron Sullivan incident, Baldwin photo, and Westall incident were apparently investigated, However, none of these researchers could find any Air Force documents on these incidents at all, which it's very possible that this, this goes back to like black ops projects where within the Air Force there's, there's a compartmentalized office that nobody even knows about. The, the heads of the Air Force probably don't even know about that actually were the ones that, that's why I said men in black, is all because right. there, there are these groups, even the ones in the Air Force don't know they even exist and they're the ones actually investigating these incidents, which documents about Australian military work during the time could still be highly classified, maybe even destroyed, or in the hands of other Allied powers. So maybe the information was shared with the U.S., and the U.S. is the ones that hold the files for this particular incident, which, which is possible. But later in 1966, Andrew Greenwood spoke to a friend about the incident, and that friend then made an audio tape describing their conversation. He sent the tape to an American physicist named James E. McDonald. And just for some background, at the time, the U.S. government had an interest in keeping everything about UFOs quiet. They'd often bury and discredit evidence And one of their most vocal critics on this issue was James McDonald. Mr. Greenwood claimed that about 12 months after the incident, officials from another government had begged him to speak about the incident. He also said that the U.S. President Lyndon B. Johnson had set up an inquiry into UFOs and he was sending officials out to meet Mr. Greenwood. In 1967, James McDonald actually was visiting Melbourne, and his official purpose there was to research cloud physics. But he also studied UFOs on the side, and he became well-known for his UFO research. So when he got some free time in Melbourne, he went to see Mr. Greenwood. And Mr. Greenwood was working as a science teacher at Haleybury College at the time. During the interview, Mr. Greenwood shared his recollection of the incident. There is a recording of this conversation, but it can only be heard physically at the University of Arizona's archives. But during these interviews, Mr. Greenwood clarified that Frank, the headmaster, was the one trying to shut down the UFO story, not the Air Force. In fact, he said that the Air Force came three days after the incident. He also does not mention being threatened in any way by the government or the Royal Australian Air Force, despite James McDonald asking leading questions about an Air Force cover-up. He made a comment to James implying that Frank called him a drunkard during the school assembly. It's only in 2008 that Mr. Greenwood first mentions the Royal Australian Air Force men showing up at his door at a congressional hearing where james testified that he believed that high altitude aircrafts could damage the ozone layer and cause skin cancer he was correct in saying this but after he said this a congressman took a cheap shot at him he said that james believed in ufos and little green men which just severely damaged his professional reputation and he actually later died by suicide in 1971 so that just goes to show especially in this day and age it was it was totally different i mean ufos have become very widely accepted governments has Mm -hmm. even come out and accepted their existence and but back then it was this very like taboo thing Mm -hmm. like you believe in ufos and little green men like then you're wax fuck right and and if you if you were you know somebody with a reputation or you know high education things like that or had a high a position of power in some yeah. way if you came out and said anything in support of UFOs you could you know yeah, people would take all. take shots at you so
2: plus I feel like a lot of times people who aren't really aware of UFOs use the whole term of like little green men you know if you believe in aliens and you yeah. 100% believe in these little green men like it's it's either black or white right. and in reality like it's so much more complex than that and
1: mm-hmm.
2: we don't even know maybe there are no such thing as quote unquote little green men
1: yeah I mean, maybe they maybe these beings aren't even anything physical that we can describe, like they're,
0: yeah, or they look like us,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? Yeah. Or they right. look like us, or they look right. like
0: us, and uh, you know, the little green men is just the the fantasy part of it, right? That you know, maybe everybody's held on to. But many of the students who witnessed the incident still believe that the event was covered up by the government. One of the only pieces of documented eyewitness testimony outside of the news reports from that time is a report made by Joy Tai. Soon after the incident, Joy filled out the report for the Victorian Flying Saucer Research Society. And in 2010, a documentary filmmaker contacted Channel 9 News to see if they still had a copy of their 1966 interview with Joy Tai. This interview apparently never aired, but they confirmed that they had records of the film reel. But when the filmmaker went to check out the reel itself, he discovered it was missing, of course. Nine News claimed that the film reel had been removed from their archives and not returned. That is fishy. That is weird. That this random interview is re- yeah, that is. somebody so came weird. looking for it and took it.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: But it's just a weather balloon, a right? That's why. Right.
0: Yeah. Hmm. The former Westall witnesses still talk about the incident today, but many of them are upset about the lack of official information on the incident. They want to discover some of the files to get closure, and I don't blame them. You'd want to know what, yeah, what uh, other people know, and mm-hmm. you know, so you can kind of validate what Your you own saw experience. that day. Yeah. Over the years, they've also held meetups and reunions to catch up and discuss the event. Many of the witnesses post in a Facebook group about the incident, and this group was created by Shane Ryan, who's one of the most prominent West Hall researchers. Shane was a big part of the 2010 documentary West Hall 66. Many witnesses can still remember what they saw that day very clearly. Here's some witnesses actually drawing what they saw.
3: All these years later, the students draw what they witnessed. They claim
0: one landed in a park, then took off.
4: I could feel a heat and hear this buzzing sound.
0: But the fact that the memory is still so vivid that mm-hmm. after all these years later, they're able to detail out everything in a sketch of mm-hmm. what they saw that day from 66.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, why would you still be hanging on to it if it was all just a giant lie?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or you just saw something perfectly ordinary.
1: Yeah.
5: hmm
0: Doesn't make oh, a lot of sense. weather balloon. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I am absolutely terrible at keeping track of all the subscriptions that I have subscribed to. Well, those days are no more now thanks to Rocket Money, which was formerly known as Bill. I was actually using Truebill back when it was Bill, and now it's become Rocket Money, and it's become even better. So many people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about, and 80% of those people don't even remember that they were subscribed in the first place. Maybe it's an unused Amazon Prime account or a Hulu account that never gets streamed. This app is absolutely amazing at tracking all of your expenses, but even easier when it comes to looking at what subscriptions you have as well as helping you cancel those subscriptions, which is really, really nice. And if there's a subscription that you find through the app that you no longer want, all you gotta do is hit cancel and it will go and cancel the subscription for you. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for. And you may even find out that you've been double charged for a subscription. Nothing's worse than that. So help get your finances in order, keep track of your expenses, and get those subscriptions under control. Get rid of those useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to RocketMoney.com slash milehire. Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. That's RocketMoney.com slash MileHire. Cancel your unnecessary subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash milehire. In 2013, they created a UFO-themed memorial playground, which was built near the Grange, where the students first saw the UFO. A former teacher at Westall named Hazel Edwards actually attended the park's opening ceremony, and later on, she actually told a Westall researcher about an interesting interaction she had with one of her former students at the opening. Hazel had always maintained that there was no UFO sighting at Westall that day. She said that the story is fiction or a case of mistaken identity. She also believed that the witness numbers were highly inflated by sort of a repressed memory exercise. Hazel claimed that at the opening, one of her former students asked her not to share her doubts about the sighting. The unnamed student allegedly told her, quote unquote, it's my only chance to be famous and you're not going to take that away from me.
1: Okay. Well, how Why do does we that even sound that like happened? a bunch of
0: bullshit to <laughs> yeah. me? That sounds like something who somebody who is highly skeptical of something would mm-hmm. make up.
1: Convenient. That of
0: course. Oh yeah, I just want to be famous from this. Place. Famous. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> There's no fame
1: to be. Gained. Go down in history. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say in history. <laughs> There's nothing to Stupid. be famous about.
0: Yeah. Hazel said that two other teachers who were also at Westall during the incident agree with her. She's been interviewed by multiple media outlets and filmmakers, but she says they usually cut her comments after she tells them she doesn't think the object was a UFO.
2: Which I don't believe that for a second. Mm-hmm. Why would they cut? If anything, they're going to cut out the comments of you. Believing that there's yeah, UFO. Yeah, exactly. Like, that makes no very sense. Very rarely are skeptics, you know, silenced.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point.
0: Some teachers, students, and other staff have since passed away, and the former Westall headmaster, Frank Sambleby, died in 1986. So we can't hear his perspective today.
1: Be interesting to hear it. Yeah. I mean, has he been? Swayed? I don't really want to hear it. Who
0: gives a shit, honestly?
1: <laughs> I I don't know. It just sounds like a like close think that your mind would expand a little bit by 2022, but maybe
0: not Mm, yeah maybe not another big part of the westall ufo theory is the idea that the whole incident was covered up and this is where things start to get a little murky the initial report in the dandenong journal said that one teacher and several students saw the object but over the years the number has grown from 200 to even over 300 which just might be explained by a psychological phenomenon known as the bandwagon effect high schoolers are still kids and they're very conscious about their image and the event created quite a stir so nobody wanted to be one of the kids who didn't or couldn't see the UFO and therefore you know kids like to make up stuff and all try to fit in and be like yeah I'm like yeah. Eh, maybe a few but okay. I don't know if you could go from you know to all of them yeah. but then again the short report from The Age published the day after the event said that hundreds of kids witnessed the object and again the headmaster called a school wide special assembly after this sighting and this would be very odd an event that only a dozen or so people in the school witness why would they do that when well you know why why not just pull mm-hmm. those 12 kids as opposed to the whole right, school and yeah. like <laughs> come on now yeah so definitely. it's it's very possible that it was closer to 200 plus it might be true that some of the students decided to join in on the story But many of these students grew up and still insist they saw what they saw even decades later. The fact that teacher Andrew Greenwood came forward to corroborate the sighting may also boost their credibility.
2: I like to think about how the differences between this Mm -hmm. incident and aerial school, because one, aerial school, all the teachers were like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, no one believed the kids. yeah. Yeah, that's true. Whereas, you know, this is an incident where there's a handful of teachers who seem to have you know, experience the same thing that the students did. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, aerial school, that was a elementary school. So they were really young. But these students are a lot older here. So it just makes me think, because I think a lot of people are like, oh, they're kids. They have fun imaginations. That was like one of the main arguments right. for aerial school. Mm-hmm. And like, okay, maybe. But here, like we were talking about, they're a lot older. And like, you know, not that they don't have imaginations, but yeah, naturally younger kids... Have more of a creative imagination than people who are in high school.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, some people would argue that older kids
2: lie more.
1: Yeah, maybe they would have more of a reason to lie versus the younger children. But I don't know. I, what do you think about the fact that both of these happened at schools? Do you think there's a reason they're landing near the schools? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we did talk about this during Ariel too. That. You know, maybe threat levels—they're trying down. to reach the youth. Well, yeah, threat threat levels down too. That's that's a good point, and maybe that there's a a large group of them at once. But also, I think they are trying to reach our youth. I don't I mean in this case we don't really have any direct example of that, but in aerial school, remember the kids were getting visions when they were experiencing all this of.
2: Yeah, they're like getting telepathy of the aliens basically sending them messages like save our Earth. Yes,
1: Yeah, we need to change the way that we treat our planet and our environment if we're going to have hope of survival was the underlying message. Maybe they were
0: there to abduct. Mm -mm.
1: (laughs) Uh, Maybe, but I doubt it personally. Yeah. I don't know. I think that maybe they're trying to make contact with us to hopefully save our planet or make an impact on us and they think that
0: The old geezers are are not worth spending time on. Yeah. Go to (laughs) the kids. They're
1: they're threatening.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, it's kind of the same, same idea with crop circles. It's like, what's the purpose of the crop circles? Well, Mm -hmm. is there a deeper meaning to them? Is there a message? Is there, yeah. Is there, is there something that, that, that they want to, you know, is it a subtle way of letting us know that they're there Mm -hmm. in in a peaceful way that we, you know, people won't freak out and get scared of, you know, nobody's scared of crop circles. Right. I guess, you know. Depending on if you've seen the movie signs, maybe you might think different, but most people are like, That's beautiful, that's artwork, that's something, you know, that we should take pictures of and, and study and things like Duffy, that versus yeah. but you know, I think it's dropping hints, you know what I mean? Right. And that that's why they're that's why they're there. They're there to make their presence known and hopefully over time more and more people will come to accept their existence but mm-hmm. at the same same token it's also possible there's a more nefarious reason for it but i won't get into that right now but moving forward there have been many allegations that the story was silence witnesses were intimidated it's very clear and that they were told to keep their mouth shut or else the Dandenong Journal said that they were not permitted to interview the students after April 14th. Andrew Greenwood has claimed that the headmaster was so scared of the object that he refused to come outside until it was gone. He said that when the Royal Australian Air Force tried to contact the headmaster, he told them to quote-unquote go and jump in a lake. But Frank had an explanation for that. He told the news media to go away because the school had been getting so many calls and visits that the students were becoming distracted. So this seems like somewhat of a believable explanation. A bunch of teenagers would probably way rather talk to a bunch of reporters and cameras than sit in class. And due to the buzz the story cause, reporters kept calling and showing up, which greatly disrupted the school days. And it wasn't just journalists who kept showing up. The Air Force and UFO enthusiasts were coming too. On April 9th, the Air Force came to Westall with some of these UFO researchers to study the supposed landing site. But apparently nothing was found because the incident wasn't documented and clearly this landing site was destroyed. After all, Frank himself thought the whole sighting was a fluke anyway, and he was a very authoritarian, by-the-book type of guy. So he might have let the government officials or the Air Force do what they wanted at first since they were authority figures. But even that became too annoying or distracting after a few days. Plus, the newspapers in the area reported on the incident widely. Interviews with students like Marilyn Smith ran in the papers, as did an interview with teacher Andrew Greenwood. Joy Ty said their interview aired on TV that day, And plus, more witnesses have continued to tell their stories over the years. If there was a cover-up, then there probably would have been some consequences from the government or whoever was trying to silence the story. Andrew said that his job was threatened, but he happily gave his story to James McDonald a year later and he didn't lose his teaching job. As for the burnt landing site, there's another possible explanation for this. There are no records of the government or military ever burning the site, but the farmer that owned the land claimed that he was the one who burned it, which maybe he, you know, Somebody tipped him off to burn that. He said that he burned the land because he was tired of all these unwelcome visitors trampling all over his property, so he burned the spot or destroyed it to discourage other potential visitors.
1: That's a load of shit. Come on. Yeah. That's going to make people even more curious about it, I think. Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: If it's not a big deal, what's there to hide? Why
0: are you so worried about destroying it? Like This doesn't make
1: any sense. Super fucking weird you're probably wondering what happened to Tanya, the girl who passed out after allegedly seeing the UFO. Well, she's actually alive and well, and she's spoken about what happened that day at Westall. Tanya explained that she and her mom had moved from Slovenia to Australia three years before the incident. They lived with an Austrian couple her mother worked with and the couple's two boys. Tanya said that on April 6th, she was the first one to see the UFO while they were doing P.E. on the Oval. She described the craft as a metallic silver with a flat saucer-like bottom and a dome-shaped top. The saucer moved quickly and erratically. It was as if it blinked off in one part of the sky and blinked on again in another, which definitely reminds me of a lot of UFO footage we have seen, potential UFO footage that has just been you know, recorded by random people. When she saw the UFO... She ran inside and started shrieking about flying saucers. Tanya doesn't remember if she was alone or if she went inside any classrooms to spread the news. She observed a chemistry teacher, Barbara Robbins, taking a camera from the office and snapping photos of the incident. However, Tanya revealed that she hadn't actually seen the craft at the landing site. By the time she got there, it was gone. And all she saw was a very large, Round, burnt, or scorched area of flattened grass. Tanya also noted that she rushed inside soon after she saw the first UFO, so she thinks this might be why some of the students saw three UFOs and she only saw one. Also, Tanya does not remember how she returned to school. She also doesn't remember anything about an ambulance or going to the hospital. She can't say for sure if it isn't true because she doesn't recall it, She said at that age, she was prone to dizziness spells and fainting. So given the fact that she had been running around and everyone was very excited, she could have fainted, gone to the hospital, and been discharged quickly after they realized that she was okay. Tanya returned to school for at least a few days after the incident. And she said the next day that students at the school were still talking about the UFO, of course, and they mentioned seeing army men at the Grange that day. But Tanya hadn't seen any men there. The headmaster was very angry with Tanya for leaving the school grounds without permission. A day or two after the incident, Tanya said that she thought two groups of men had visited the school, a pair of Australian men and a pair of American men. Then at one point, Tanya was called into a conference room where the two American men in dark suits interviewed her, and they grilled her about the incident. But afterwards, they made her feel very special. They thanked her for telling them what she had saw. They asked her not to tell anyone about it. And they really emphasized that she couldn't tell a single person. They implied that the government was working on something secret and that students weren't supposed to know about it or see it. And when the men asked her to keep the secret, she felt very important, like, you know, she was in on something big. So Tanya didn't tell anybody not her mother, not her friends, nobody. None of the teachers discussed the incident with her either. And at some point, Tanya and her mother moved away. To a different melbourne suburb south of westall but this wasn't something out of the ordinary she explained that her mother found a better job opportunity and living space so that's why they had moved tanya couldn't explain the interactions that jackie had when she knocked on her door but she said it's possible that they had already moved by that time or there could have been a language barrier issue between the school kids and the austrian family that was living there After the sighting, Tanya said that she put the whole thing into shutdown mode for many years, so her memories of the event are a bit fuzzy. She only started thinking about the incident again after people began to contact her asking about it, and with the recent developments in the UFO community and, you know, all the sightings there have been, Tanya decided to share her story in 2021. Now that it is a lot more accepted, I think people are more willing to listen. So, she said that the object couldn't have been a weather balloon or some government secret project they were flying on a trial basis. She doesn't think the object was anything that could have been produced on Earth. Now, there are many questions about this incident that still have not been answered. For example, what happened to the Nine News interview reel? What happened to Barbara Robbins' camera? Nobody seems to know. And the mystery of the Westall UFO Continues to persist nearly six decades after the incident, and many witnesses believe that the mystery will never be solved.
0: Which it won't, because it's clearly covered up, and in the information, yeah, that likely will lead us into the direction that right. we believe was that this is something unidentified that we don't know the origin of, yeah, has been completely covered up by the government. But
1: yep, lots of missing details. But just
0: to run through some alternate theories that are out there, one theory is that what. The children saw that day. It was just a group of planes. Okay. Doing a training exercise through the military or something like that. So there is actually an airport fairly close to the school and only four point five kilometers behind the Grange called the Morabin Airport. It's a small airport, but it's pretty busy. And, you know, there's tons of takeoffs there. But the students even said in interviews that they're next to this airport, so they see all sorts of planes and things like that all the time. And they know for a fact that what they saw that day was in no way, shape, or form, some type of familiar object, let alone an airplane.
2: Yeah, actually, it's the third busiest airport in the southern hemisphere by number of takeoffs, which makes me think this is like even proving even further that it wasn't a plane because mm-hmm. of the fact that it's so busy. They would see it. All they the would time. see it all the time. They yeah. would think nothing of it.
0: Which you know, people that go further down this theory say, "Oh, it could have been you know military exercise, and they they were using these." sock looking things called drogues. Have you ever been to an air show before? You see this stuff and no, there's no way I would confuse this type of thing with a flying saucer. There's no way I would look up in the sky and be, and first thing I say when I see training exercise happening with military craft, no matter if there's similar shaped objects involved with it, be like that's a flying saucer. Yeah. There's just no way. That theory just really doesn't add up to me. I don't think there's a whole lot that makes sense for that other than the school is relatively close to an airport and there were five planes that buzz this thing but doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense to me which leads us to the theory that this was a high altitude balloon that was seen that day now during this time period high altitude balloons were being used to monitor radiation levels and you know they were doing all sorts of testing from 1960 to 1969 the US and Australian governments launched a joint research program into atmospheric radiation testing. And so there was a lot of these balloons that were sent up into the atmosphere. And like we heard earlier in the video clip, some of the balloons can, and I don't even know if this was a capability back in the 60s, but the balloons nowadays you can keep in in a certain area. But a lot of times the balloons that they launched during the 60s is that the balloons would just go where the wind would take them. So they'd launch it you know, hundreds of miles away, and it could end up, you know, it would just go where it would go. So it's possible that a balloon could have been seen by the children. In fact, there was a balloon that was launched the day before, but it was in an area 354 miles away. It's called Balloon Flight 292. Possible that they saw a weather balloon, sure, but let's look at some clips here of, of weather balloons. And I just don't think there's any way all of these people could be confused about what they saw. And also, these weather balloons aren't landing on the ground.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, when they do come down,
1: right?
0: if it was a weather balloon that came down, that crashed, they do carry um, kind of explosives in there to detach the different devices that they carry up into the stratosphere and things like that. So they do have a way to potentially explode. It could be dangerous, something like that. So that's the thought is, well, maybe this was a down weather balloon that they were worried could explode. And hurt the children and therefore that's why they rushed to the scene and covered this up and it could have been this big disaster but Mm -hmm. it really just doesn't add up because what they actually witnessed was an object that turned 45 degrees and shot off into into the sky
1: yeah that's the
2: thing weather balloons don't
0: turn on a 45 degree angle and shot you know and don't and they're (laughs) made out of latex it's like latex
1: it's offensive to accuse people of getting them confused i mean it's so obviously not
0: And oftentimes it does. And sometimes people do get confused, though, by weather balloons that they see in the sky. And then they say, oh, it's a UFO. And then it turns out. Yeah,
1: in some situations. But in this case. But when that
0: happens, usually whoever launched the weather balloon claims that, you know, that's our weather balloon. Yeah. Or our high altitude balloon. And their
1: descriptions of it are very different when it actually does line up with a weather balloon. It's not darting. Right. Right. So, you know, some of the other characteristics that these people are describing are so different.
0: So this is a clip of a high altitude balloon from afar. Like if you're on the ground looking up at it, this is what it would look like. So you're just on the ground, you're seeing this little thing up in the sky. Okay, it's just sitting up there. Do you see it darting? Is it rotating? Is it doing anything? Just just sitting up there. Most of the times UFOs that are spotted are actually moving and doing something. And this, you know, weather balloons are going up. They're not going sideways upside down, back to the ground. They're going one way and that's up until they pop and everything comes down. That's what this next clip shows.
6: Today, the space tourism company WorldView confirmed via Twitter that the balloon was in fact theirs and was launched all the way from Tucson, Arizona and could be seen by people all across Southwest Florida. Experts say it was likely some sort of malfunction that caused it to lose altitude, which is why it could be seen from the ground here in Florida. It's right
5: up there, Gary, that little white spot.
6: A tiny transparent speck in the sky yesterday afternoon was enough to catch the eyes of people all across southwest Florida. Well, kind of a cool thing, really. makes us all look up and it kind of a fun thing to see. But this was no more hell yeah. <laughs> 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 High pressure systems, low time. pressure systems. Uh, they're uh, measuring carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. They're measuring temperature, things like that, yeah. It's called a Stratolite balloon. Launched all the way from Arizona, so it, it uses helium to climb to 55,000 feet. The stratosphere, right on the edge of space. The company that made it, called Worldview, is a space tourism We've talked company. about these guys It launched <laughs> last week to take data for NOAA.
2: It's just hovering
6: there. So, why did we see it? I asked Todd Sherman with the Calusa Nature Center in Planetarium. It's floating. It's not. It started to lose helium, up. which is why it was so low in the atmosphere. It shouldn't have been that low. It should have been much higher up. And even though no one was aboard this time, it's because of flights like these that. Oh, I can't wait
0: for that. Who, soon. Who's going with me?
6: Uh-huh. You are not going. Morning in Lee wait.
1: County, Hi. Alex Howard. Yeah,
0: if it's NBC safe, too. why not? You would do it? Hell yeah. You
1: I'll would do you. it, you know? If I
2: come back, hell yeah.
0: Which they're going to well, make guess, sure it's yeah, safe. If it was safe, I wouldn't
2: go with the. I would be the first one to volunteer uh, that's what i'm saying but like, i would definitely go all right i would definitely like sign up after it's been you know going for a few years and that's like the
0: number one item hmm. on my bucket list is i want to see the earth from space
1: yeah no i do get that i just nowadays i think I'm that'd like be the most afraid of everything
0: profound image you could possibly see it's as expensive a human as
1: fuck, being though but maybe
2: yeah. like i don't know 30 years from now to be like on groupon <laughs>
6: <laughs> Buy one, get one free. Yeah,
2: exactly. Buy <laughs> 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 one trip to space, Dude, get a second one for free. That's gonna be our next holiday party. Hell yeah! Maybe in a couple years from now, I'd be so lit. taking a
1: whole mile higher crew to space, bitch. I'm Sick. just when I'm old and I'm
0: decrepit and near my my last breath, I'm just gonna say, hook me up to one of those balloons and send me up. <laughs> what
5: The fuck? Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure our kids and are gonna love that.
1: Well.
0: The kids can say bye, dad. Bye, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> and they can watch me take the weather balloon, and then once it disappears, they know
2: the weather balloon pops. Though <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a shitty ending. And then I'm then crashing down. Dad Earth. comes back down. Oh no! <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man! Hopefully, you can get me out of the Earth's atmosphere, though, so that I can just drift yeah. off into space, and my body can forever just be floating, it, and frozen ew. in space,
2: okay, until I collide with an
0: asteroid into a million pieces. Hmm. So from those videos, though, I mean, based on descriptions, what they saw, what they're drawing, nothing matches up with a a balloon. If you ask me,
1: no, I agree.
0: And there would have been other evidence of a balloon at the actual scene at the landing site. There wasn't, so I'm sorry, but I don't think it was a weather balloon. Yeah, I really don't. And that's in really that's all the theories there are. Was just it was some type of experimental Mm -hmm. military aircraft that was doing training exercises that decided to do a little. Pit stop by the children's playground and let the children yeah, play. The fuck? Come running at it. No, <laughs> no way in hell they're doing no, that. No, there's a reason why Area 51 exists. There's a reason why you don't think in Australia, in the great outback, that's where they're doing that shit. They're not yeah. doing it in Melbourne,
5: Mm-mm. they're not <laughs> doing it in
0: the way. middle of the, one of the largest cities yeah. in Australia. Yeah. Hell right. no, right? Not a balloon. This was something extraordinary that they saw that day. Mm-hmm. Was it? alien was it something from another planet potentially or was it potentially secret technology that it, it may not even been australian in nature it could have been something the united states government had back engineered it could have been something that we created yeah, that's true. because these yeah. craft have the ability to control gravity it uses it, it pulls energy from the space time around it from and it is able to traverse great distances like it's nothing so it's very possible that this was something, you know, originated from somewhere else on this planet. It's some type of back-engineered technology, but based on descriptions, what it was, based on what Bob Lazar saw, this is completely alien. There's nothing about this that, even to this day, think about all the technology that we know about. Yeah. that But the government has has come out and said that they have nothing even remotely looks like this. It doesn't operate like this. doesn't fly like that. Yeah. We don't have the ability to maneuver in the way that these craft do so Mm. just goes down as another sighting that can't be explained and we will never know what it is Mm. until one day the the, the truth is revealed and you know is it a national security threat is that why they're they're keeping under wraps what's the reason Or is it or is it just something that we have no control over and they're just, you know, whatever intelligence is piloting these things is just going about it in a very strange way. Dropping little nuggets of <laughs> of of information and sightings.
1: Mm.
0: It's just interesting that the, the correlation between all the events is so strong. I there, know there's just so many aspects of the We to see just like these same things Boom. coming
1: up whenever we talk about UFOs, honestly. Or crop circles or anything alien related. It's all tied together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's
0: the Westall UFO incident.
1: Yeah, that is it. We want to know what you guys think, of course, about this one. Um, especially our Australian friends, which um, Down I under. know we have a ton of you guys. So I want to hear your thoughts on this one for sure. And please explain to heard.
0: me the appeal of the meat pies. I don't get it.
1: While well, you're at it,
0: the meat pies, man, that was the one thing I could not get. I feel about.
1: like you'd be into the I meat I love pies, meat pies, John. but yeah, I, I did say. not
0: like this meat pie. You
1: didn't try I it. I didn't
0: like the Australian beef did either. Did you try it? The Australian beef was, I don't know what y'all feeding your cows over there. Ooh,
1: don't be rude.
0: I'm sorry though. American beef is. We're used to
2: McDonald's
1: here. I don't remember you trying the meat pie. You tried it? Yeah,
0: we tried a meat pie. I didn't. It was on one of our excursions. We did.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. You're right. I do remember now. Oh yeah, that it's was like not it's good.
0: for for Americans. It's like a pot pie, but it's got like ground beef. And I hate little pot little pie
1: too. Just like pie and meat. Chicken are pot just pie not a is thing. delicious. No, I hate chicken pot pie. Oh,
0: pie! Chicken pot pie is where it's at. All
1: right. Well, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, let us know
0: your thoughts on the Westall UFO incident. Do you believe that it was extraterrestrials that were visiting the children that day? Mm. Were they there to entertain, or was it something else? abduct? Maybe you know a lot of people believe that aliens are here. Their purpose is to. Use our DNA to better themselves
1: or give us a message. That's what I lean towards. Yeah,
0: but it's like, can you make the message a little clearer? Because people aren't <laughs> getting the message. So <laughs> that's true. Can we uh, step it up a few? Mm-hmm. I'm still waiting for them to make an appearance and I ain't got all day. Okay. I only got so many more years left on this earth. And if I don't see one of you land or fly by me, I'm mm. going to die a very sad man.
1: Well, Given the fact that time's probably moving a lot uh, slower for us, it probably won't.
0: Thanks for crushing my dreams.
1: <laughs> You're welcome. And on, and on that, that note, up. we will wrap it up. We hope you guys are having a great day and that you enjoyed this episode and found it as interesting as we did. We will be back next week. But until then, keep, keep taking on. your mind
3: to my heart.
1: Yeah, you wow. took it out of my mouth. There you go.